Welcome to a new episode of The Workcast, the podcast on the changing dynamics of work and workplaces. Herman and Wiesa, two workplace innovation friends, bring you fresh perspectives and uncover the stories of the entrepreneurs, innovators, and remarkable talents in the innovation landscape of work and workplaces. Let's go. Today with us, Anthony Slumbers, real estate futurist, thought leader, board member and speaker and host of many courses on the future of real estate, space as a service and the impact of technology and also a big fan of art. Anthony, good morning. It's a real pleasure to have you in our show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And what brings you to Amsterdam? Well, I, I'm spending a, a whole day today with a, with a client and, the, and their team discussing generative AI for real estate people. I teach an online course. Um, and instead of doing the online course over three weeks, we're going to cram it all into a day. Into a day for a full team. <laughs> a full team. AI and the impact on real estate. Well, particularly generative AI. Gen AI. Gen AI. Yes. Particularly okay. generative AI. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. But so, Anthony, uh, let's start uh, with a personal question. What did you want to become when you were a child? It's very, it's very funny you should ask this, actually, because the, the earliest I can remember is I wanted to be an astronomer. Because I'm old enough to remember the moon landing. So ah. I was a little boy when, <laughs> when, they land, when they landed on the moon. And I used to have that famous poster on my wall of, um, was it Neil Armstrong in, in his suit on the, on, on the moon? And I was sort of obsessed about stars and galaxies and all that sort of stuff for, for quite a long time. And it was funny, during the, um, uh, during the autumn, I was doing a talk in Washington. I had a chance to go to the Space Museum. Hmm. and actually stood in front of uh, Neil Armstrong's suit that wow. he was wearing on the, on the earth. And it was funny, there was a chap ne- next to me and had a young boy with him. And I said, oh, I wish I was that age. Because this is just so exciting to think hmm. that suit has been on the moon. And there's, some, there's something magical about it. I mean, I have no interest in all the silliness with Elon Musk going to Mars. <laughs> just want to ask. Yeah. Gar- ghastly place. I, mean, I like the look of these places. But would anyone want to go there? No. Thanks. Silliness, right? <laughs> Utter silliness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and then from a, 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 this inspiration, um, you studied art, right? History of art. I did. It's a very, yeah. it's a so very strange... So what happened there in between, right? <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a very strange thing. I did actually do a, a history of art degree. And then I worked. I actually worked for an art dealer for quite, quite, a, quite a few years. I worked for a top-end European and, and British uh, 19th century art, art dealer in Belgravia in, in London. And it, it's funny, at the, at the time, lots of top-end art dealers were into property development. A lot, mm. a lot of art dealers did residential, top-end residential development. Because the, 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 the secret about being an art dealer is, A, you need to start with lots of money, you have to have very good taste, and you need to buy very well. And then the trick is you just stick something in the cupboard and you come back in five years' time. <laughs> so it's not really a very active active job. It's a very cerebral job and a lovely job. But um, So a lot of people did art, uh, property development on, on the side. And we, we, did, we, we did that. And then it got to, I remember, January 1995, mm. went into the first internet cafe in, in London mm-hmm. and thought, wow. As a visitor. Yeah, just as a visitor. Just went in. Oh, this is cool. And then I thought, well, I mean, real estate. And real estate has lots of documents, has lots of images. Yeah. And it has lots of parties all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that sounds kind of (laughs) right for the internet. 
good for documents, good for images, and good for dealing with people all, all over the place. And so I thought, well, how do you do this? And when I started, the, the entire HTML specification was 35 sides of A4 paper. That was the entirety of what you could do on the, on the web. 35 sides of A4 paper. So even as a history of art graduate, it wasn't so complicated. <laughs> and essentially, I, I taught, myself, taught myself coding for 10 years. I basically grew up as it got more complicated. Um, I just learned things as they went. After about 10 years, it all got too much for me. And I was by then had outsourced and I had people doing mm -hmm. lots of stuff for me. But essentially, I ran a, um, a, a web agency for about 10 years originally, from yeah. sort of 95 to 105. But in, two, but in two, 2001, I started a joint venture with um, what was then the property management arm of British Land in London, who mm -hmm. were the biggest real estate company in London. And we started this product called Vicinity, and the idea of it was half of it was to do with property management tools. So it was involved, we, we wrote help desk systems, visitor management, all, the, all these sorts of things. And then half of it was what people now call tenant, tenanting, tenant engagement. Mm -hmm. So the idea of vicinity was the space around us. What could you do within your one hour lunch break? Because in those days, everyone went to the office for five days a week and they had an hour at lunchtime. Yeah. And how far could you go? So we, we used to map, map out, have put a building at the center of a map and then map out where you could go in 10 minutes because you've got to get there and got to get get back, back in time. and then analyze all the you know all the shops all the events and ev everything that was going on in in that area and sort of everything everything developed it's kind of the first community technology uh, yeah. almost yeah and you know it sometimes happens like this things just morph into more from one thing to another i mean on the face of it you you go from you know history of art history of art graduate to software developers being ridiculous but at that mm. time you could just sort of move move your way. Yeah, it was very creative. Yeah. And what, what, what's so exciting about now is now is the most exciting time since those early days in 95.9. Well, thank uh, you. That was my next question, was it? right? <laughs> <laughs> we can be, be, be silent in your podcast. Uh, the recordings the here. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I, no, no worries. I, I won't jump questions. <laughs> no worries. It's no the problem. greatest time to be alive, right? Yeah, why? Say, there was a question, right? Because I've been in your course, um, one of your first courses, right? It was during COVID, I believe. Uh, it was during COVID, actually. And you have a network of, of real estate uh, experts around you uh, that are in your courses. It's a network, it's a community, right? And maybe some of our listeners, I know for sure, some of our listeners also participated there. Uh, but there we talked about trends, right? And space as a service, the impact of, uh, of technology. Now it's Gen AI, of course, uh, which is speaking. Uh, but if you look at all the trends, but also the accelerators of trends, right, that, uh, that we uh, now encounter, it's the greatest time to be alive in real estate or in commercial real estate. I, I definitely think it's the most interesting time to be in real estate for as long as I can remember. And it's certainly the best time if you're creative, innovative, yeah. visionary. Because for, for a lot of time within real estate, it's a very, it's a very financialized mm -hmm. industry. Yeah, you know, I mean, so much of the real estate industry never even looks at buildings. They, you know, they don't like buildings. Not interested in buildings. Building yeah. is a is a is a spread <laughs> is a spreadsheet, yeah. um, which is which is fine, and it suits a certain type of person, but now suits people who are actually interested in the built world, in buildings, in people, and how do you create spaces 
and places that people want to be in, that they mm -hmm. enjoy being in, that enable them to be healthy, happy, pro productive, because you now have no choice. You know, the whole industry has gone from one, and this is exactly, I'm talking about the office industry here, but mm -hmm. retail went through this 20 years ago. Yeah when Jeff Bezos told the whole real estate industry that actually you don't need a shop to go shopping anymore. Mm -hmm. And what COVID really emphasized, even though it was on the way, but has really sort of revolutionized thinking in terms of ab absolute terms, one does not need an office to work anymore. Now, need doesn't, is not the same as want. Exactly. But the point is you have to make someone want something. Because there's lots of things you want to do in an, in an office, but the office has to be suitable for mm. that. So the whole industry has gone, is going from one where their customers needed their product to one where they have to, their customer has to be made to want it. And that is an entirely different mindset, zeitgeist, everything. When someone needs your product, you don't have to try very yeah. hard. And yeah. frankly, the industry didn't try very hard. The industry was never really bothered about the buildings. As I say, buildings were for investors. Yeah. They were designed to create an investable product. They were nothing to do with the people who actually use the building. Now it's entirely the other, the other way. So you're getting this clash in many ways of attitudes. And that's why there's, there's so much sort of writhing and seething around all get people back in the office, do this, do, the, mm. do that, as opposed to, well, what do, we need, what do we need to do to make my building somewhere people want to come? And my competition is your building. Mm. They're going to come to my building or are they going to go to your building? Well, my building's better. Why is it better? Because we look after people, we create an environment that catalyzes their human skills, that, enable, that enables them to be happy, healthy and productive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We put the customer at the center of our building and our returns, our hard returns are actually a function of our soft inputs. And this is what I always like to say to people, that some of this stuff sounds very sort of fluffy and all, you know, this isn't very professional, you know. Give me a spreadsheet, give me a spreadsheet. <laughs> and I say, look, Adam Smith would have loved flexible human-centric offices mm. because Adam Smith was all about maximizing the productivity mm. of a worker. So if you think of this in purely Smithian terms, how do I get the most out of these people I'm spending a lot of money on well, it's probably a good idea to keep them relatively happy and healthy and put them in an environment that enables them to be as productive as they are capable of being. So all those soft inputs are how you're going to get your hard yeah. output. But it's a very, very different industry that I don't think the industry has quite clicked yet just how different real estate's going to be yeah. in five years' time or ten years' time to five years ago, ten, ten years why, ago. Why is that? Because of ex ex exactly, the, exactly this point, that to, to maximise your outputs, you've got to pay a lot more attention to your inputs and you've got to pay a lot more attention to your customer. So you need a very, very different... Skill set. Skill set. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, 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 none of this is that novel. I mean, we're sitting in a hotel now. Hotels make their money by providing yeah. what the customer wants and understanding what the customer wants. You know, we're in this particular hotel now, which suits a particular 
person doing a particular thing. I'll go to another hotel, which will suit a different person or even the same person who's on it, who's there for a different mm -hmm. different purpose. But everything, everything about the hotel is tailored to what are the requirements of my customer. Yeah. And that's how, and that's how you'll generate, yeah, generate better returns. And, and does this apply to the uh, to the full extent of the office market, or only in particular places or cities? You could say, or in certain parts of a portfolio. That's a very interesting question, and it's a difficult question mm -hmm. because I feel a lot of this only actually applies to the better end of the yeah. industry. Yeah, it might be top. 20-25%. My issue though is does the rest actually have any purpose at all? Mm. The other 75. <laughs> that, that, yeah. That's the difficulty. Yeah. Now I used to think don't worry about the top end because the top end will figure will figure this out and it already has done. I mean you look at top rents in, yeah. in, in London or, or New York or, or Amsterdam. Amsterdam. The yeah. best buildings are, are generating higher incomes than ever aren't they? because there's not a lot of it. That's, that's the, the big elephant in the room within the industry. What percentage of the stock is really up to being suitable for the way people want to work now, but also sustainable and sustainable through to 2030 and beyond? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, not, it's not, not a lot. Now, I used to think that end of the market will sort, will sort these things out. Um, and I always used to think that the bottom end would be fine. On the mm. argument, there's always a market for cheap. Mm. Mm. But actually, then you start thinking, well, probably not really, because there's nothing cheaper than sitting in my bedroom if I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's there's new competition on the bottom. Right? Yeah, there, there, there's, yeah, there's actually the competition is not, yeah. not being there at all. No. So I, I would say there was a very interesting report done early in the year looking at the amount of potentially ob obsolete space across the US and, and Europe. And it's quite shocking. In, in, in America, they reckon 25% of space was fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And basically, 46% was either already obsolete yeah. or on the way to obsolete. And in Europe, there was a higher, I think, 20, I think it was, no, it was 25% in, in Europe, 15% of the top space in America. 25% space in Europe was ready to go. And the rest was cross your fingers, spend some money, you need to do, need to do something like that. So there's going to be a huge amount of, of, of repurposing in, ver in various ways. So, yeah, I, I, sort of, I sort of think the office market has got to a stage where it, if it can't perform those functions, mm -hmm. then what's the point? Yeah, why? What's your but yeah. that doesn't mean every office has to be a Four Seasons. Mm. You can, you can have, if you like, budget versions of this. And it's interesting, if you look at the, the, the research, Instant Group put out some good research uh, recently about what people want out of their flex spaces. The number one thing was customer service. That's the number one thing. Above the, above the building or the services or whatever, customer service. So you don't necessarily have to have the flashiest, swankiest, all singing, all dancing. Mm. In fact, I think one of the strongest markets over the next 10 years or so is going to be built older buildings with character that can be that can be repurposed they might not be able to be brought up to absolute 
top sustainability levels, but people love character. Yeah, but that's, I think, the biggest challenge in that segment is the sustainability. Yes, but, but, but maybe there's a, there's a certain number of buildings that have to be given have to be given some slack there have to mm. be some tolerance that mm. they can get so far i mean i don't know what's the sustainability rating of the Rijksmuseum? <laughs> yeah i, I mean, <laughs> no I don't, clue I, I, I don't i don't know yeah. if it's not up to scratch you're going to knock it down no, no you're going to make exactly. it as good as it can be that's you know, cultural yeah. value yeah mm. mo- mo- most of this really is is about how how good can somewhere be you know you can't get mm. blood out can't get blood out of stone but the, but the point is, people do like characterful spaces. And, you know, this fits totally in with the whole move to AI and everything. As the world gets more and more technologically advanced, we actually need to become more advanced humans because our competition is, is, is the machine. So mm. we need to get better at what the machines can, cannot do. So we do need to up our, up our, human, our human skills. And a lot of our human skills are catalyzed by the space around us. Mm. You know, the, the, the famous Churchill quote of, you know, first we shape our buildings and then, then they shape, shape us. You put someone in one space, they feel one way. You put them in another space, they feel something, something different. And in a lot of cases, older buildings have the capabilities of creating environments that really catalyze human spirit. It's not restricted to older buildings, but... If you've got a, I don't know, a 1970s horror of an office building, mm-hmm. you know, it's just dull, dull, dull. How good are you going to make that? I don't know. Maybe it should be an urban farm instead, yeah. you know. Yeah. If you look at the top 20 of the market, right, um, and, and you're going space as a service, and uh, we see a lot of new companies, new uh, prop car, op models coming in, uh, in different markets, different cities. Smaller one, largest one, there's consolidation going on as well there. How would you assess the market? Is it matured already or becoming mature? It's mature in, in small, small areas. I mean, I think it's very much still a, an emerging sector. I mean, even the, I think London has the highest percentage of flex offices of any mm. city. And it's only something like 4 or 5%. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's still niche, niche. My attitude is that I actually think all spaces are going to become spaces of service, regardless of lease length. You know, the, mm. fir- the first, when, it, when I started talking about the spaces of service, I, I was very um, cognizant that I need to split it into two things. One is spaces of service in the sense of space that you procure by the day, by the month, short, short term. But the other is space that provides the services you need for the particular job to be be done done Mm. at the time. So space that actually gives you what you need to enable you to be as productive as possible. Now, I think actually regardless of whether something is, someone is taking the space on a 24-hour lease or a 24-year lease, they are going to operate their spaces in, in this manner. So I think Ultimately, the whole market is going to move to being space as a service, but, at, but in accordance with its definition of we're very, very actively thinking about our space as something, as an input to creating product, productive output. Now, people say, well, everyone does that now, yeah. don't they? You know, we've been doing that for decades. That's the <coughs> workplace industry. Well... 
Yes, but up to a point, Lord no, Copper. Not really. Um, not, not really, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, the thing that you talk about, how many people, how many people were satisfied with their office space pre, pre-COVID? Mm. Pretty and low it, number, right? And, and it's 50% or yeah. so. Mm. So, you know, most offices are pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, some offices were great. And certainly you could, you, you could find plenty of examples of people who would legitimately look at what I'm saying now and go, well, we've been doing that for decades. Yes, mm. yeah. but that has not been the norm. Exactly. Most, yeah. most offices are not good. And now we, need, now we know, well, you don't need them. But that doesn't mean they can't be good. I, I still believe that a, another one of these paradoxes, apart from we have to get much better, better humans, is actually in a more and more deeply technological world, we're actually in some ways going to need offices more, but offices in the sense of places to convene, mm-hmm. places to come together, mm-hmm. places to, to do this sort of thing, to, to mm-hmm. talk or to ideate or yeah. to just bounce off each other. But it will be very, very deliberative and we're coming there for a specific purpose. I don't need to sit, who are, whoever you're sitting next to, however interesting they are, they're not interesting 40, 50 hours a week. <laughs> you just can't, you can't, you can't, keep, it, you can't keep it up. Yeah. Um, so, so, yes, I, I, I'm firmly in the camp that fundamentally the, the macro demand per capita, so per mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. Yeah. For, real, for space will decline. But the ability to generate much higher income per square foot is going to, is going to increase. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, you want to move from a world where the, the aim is to get someone to take as much space for as long a period yeah. of time as possible to actually to get them to take as little space for the shortest time. Because you want the person who was going to take 1,000 square meters, who now takes 500, but pays you what they would have paid for 700 mm. before. Because it's a lot better. So they win, you win. You've just got to fill the rest of the rest of your space with with, with people like like that. So it, it's a it's a different game. But going back to your original question, mm-hmm. probably twenty percent or so will will really fly. Yeah. A, a lot of a lot of space is going to have difficulties yeah. in mm. in various ways. But you know there are lots of other things we can do with spaces. It gets us, you know, you move from office spaces back to thinking about ci- back to thinking about cities. And if you look at great cities, they've been very much mediated. That's where you shop, that's where you live, mm. and that's that's where you you go to work. But but ultimately, the centre centre of great cities are wonderful places. That's where where pe- where people want want to be. So somehow we've got to. We've got to lean in to all the, posi- all the positives about our cities. Why does someone want to come here? Because it's great. Why is it great? Because we have the best sport. We have the best restaurants. We have the best theaters. We have the best whatever. Mm-hmm. Different cities will have their own different thing that they're really good at. Lean into that. Get people living back in the cities. Make them, make them walkable. Make them places where people want to be. And make them places to congregate. I mean, I always think that, you know, even before COVID... I'm trying to remember when I last had a meeting in an actual office. You know, I'd have a meeting in this hotel, or I used to have. I used to actually have my meetings in the um, 
in the the downstairs the downstairs uh, bar at the Royal Royal Academy off, off Piccadilly because you could use it during during the week and I was only there to talk to talk to people um, and if I was in the city I would, I would go into a, probably into into the, one yeah. of the hotels because they're not, they're they're nice places to be yes you need spaces for other places but cities have really got to they've they've really got to lean in lean into what what they they're good at and overemphasize the benefits of of people coming together in but in great places anthony then you also have to like as a corporate or a real estate investor in that kind of areas you also need to be involved in the area or the place making etc because in london you have king's cross now, london is a fantastic place for students to study actually yeah. because if you take two huge regeneration areas there's king's cross yeah and then there's the area south of the river called called nine elms yeah. which is where the american embassy is nine elms is a dystopian nightmare it's just a disaster <laughs> area it's, it's just a, hide, a hideous unplanned unplanned overdeveloped ugly mess mm-hmm. and king's cross is great why the king's cross when they started it it, it it's a it's a it's a great um justification actually for having big landowners <laughs> and and london's had you know if you look in london and you look at some of the big estates you know the, the grosvenor's owned all, all mayfair and there's the howard de warden estate the, the owned the marlebone area some of these places where they got complete control over everything mm-hmm. and a long-term vision can do things that exactly. they can't and that was the problem with nine elms you had lots and lots of different owners and of course, you know, it's like tragedy of the commons. Every yeah. owner just wanted to put the yeah, biggest building yeah. they could on on their space and didn't care about it. And then everyone does it, and it's just yeah. diabolical. Whereas King's Cross could have done that. I remember talking to David David Partridge, who was one of the the, the founders, and he said we could have just built built twelve office blocks here, mm. easy, just raise the whole lot to the ground, just build twelve office blocks. But we didn't want to do that. We wanted to create something. And the fantastic thing about King's Cross, of course, is it's centred around the University of the Arts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love it. It's all the, the Here we fashion, go. Fashion. Did you study there? Or no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I studied in, in, in Bristol. But it has, you know, all the fashion designers and the graphic designers yeah, and all that. So it has this sort of really arty, creative Bus, core. Yeah. And then you've got what has actually become, you know, a really big tech, tech, tech centre there, you know. Facebook are there, Google are there, DeepMind, DeepMind are there, lots, lots of other people are there. And you have a, you have a landlord who loved buildings as well. Mm. You know, you, you go around King's Cross and they commission good buildings mm. and they've made the effort to create good buildings and they've really put a massive amount of effort into placemaking the whole, the whole thing. If I was, I, I'm, I'm a South London boy. London's very much you either live south of the river or north of the river. It's a bit like you never the twain shall meet. I was always a South London person. Um, but if I was moving to London now, I'd move to North London, somewhere easy to commute into to King's Cross because I'd want to work mm-hmm. in, I'd want to work in King's Cross. For me coming into South London it's a bit of a pain because yeah. I come into Waterloo and it's like another 35 minutes on the tube and it's just takes takes too long I'd, I'd move up there and it's going to be a massive draw for for decades mm-hmm. and it's become this whole this whole knowledge quarter you know all mm-hmm. the life size that you got francis crick institute you got all the all these sorts of places but they are really doubling down on future technologies future industries but great place making yeah and is, is that a learning 
for this area to be great, it's the placemaking? Oh, the, I think the placemaking is abs absolutely essential. You know, you've got, you've got to create places that are nice, that are simply ni nice places mm -hmm. to be. People will go to places that are, ni are nice places to be. And uh, as I say, they're, they're nice in different ways. It's like, you know, every time I go to Manhattan, there's something, you know, sort of for non-New Yorkers. It's such a shock, isn't it? All these buildings, and they're so enormous. <laughs> and you look up, and you spend all your time looking up, being, a, being amazed. Would I want to live there? I don't know. It's a bit too big for me. I'm probably much more likely to go to somewhere like Barcelona mm. or, or Amsterdam, basically a low-rise city. I like low-rise cities. And when I went to Washington, I actually like Washington. No so it's sort of low-rise, feels a bit friendly. But I still love Manhattan, but it's a certain, it's a certain character. So they've lent into, yeah. lent into that, that character. So the, the placemaking is, place is just the bigger version of space as a service. Mm. You know, it's yeah. it's place as a service. Yeah, it's creating so. yeah. a place that's that's a one a wonderful place to, place to be. Yeah. And you know, you, I mean, you have haven't you just in Amsterdam started restricting restricting certain tourists? You yeah, we tried, tried to, yeah. right? Yeah, you just during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Today we try to get rid of some. Yeah, I think you've particular tried to, groups of tourists. Yeah, but, but, but particularly young, young, young coming from young, particular countries yes, like Britain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stag weekends in Britain. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and and li and likewise, Venice is at last trying to, you know, it's trying to put a price on coming in yeah. under a, yeah. a restrict. So you you have to get a place to, it's. It's optimum. Yeah. You know, places do get to do get too busy. You know that old joke mm. about, you know, um, about the restaurant that no one goes there anymore because it's too busy. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, the the the, the placemaking is a big is a bigger version yeah. of. But it, but it's a, you see, I I think so much of this is is a mind is a mindset, and it's a it's an individual and a collective mindset and it goes back to that thing I was saying about Adam Smith you can approach this on purely me 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 free market capitalist principles but you only really get what you want if you actually pay a lot of attention to the the, mm. the, so, the softer inputs and mm. cities have cities have to do that I need to maximize the income in this city because we want to provide all this stuff well how do we how do we do that well we need to provide this we need to restrict that it's, mm. Etc. Yeah. Etc. Et but you have to have the mindset of actually feeling um, feeling in, involved and engaged in in where you live. And mm. and to to an extent, the West has lost this. You know, we you be, it's quite easy to become too individual. You only you know, mm. my house is great with a big gate wall around it, and the rest of it is, is terrible. You know, we've got to become more. Communal. Yeah. More, more communal. Yeah. Okay. We talked about yeah. the market, right? The state of the market, you could say, um, the top 20 segment, uh, space as a surface, cities, place making. Let's talk about technology. PropTech. PropTech has been around for a while. Uh, there were high expectations, I believe, from PropTech. And maybe um, we have some great companies around in the PropTech domain. You're an advisor as well there. Being on stage many times on PropTech, although PropTech conferences. Also AI, Gen AI is coming quite rapidly at the moment, uh, impacting the industry as well. But, but before we go in those details, right? What's the state of the market, you could say? I, th I think the, state, uh, the, the PropTech market is in a rather strange place at, at the moment because there's quite a lot of 
It's quite a lot of doom and gloom. There's an awful yeah. lot of, you know, stay alive till 2025. And there's lots of people who will say, we're going to see a lot of companies go, go to the wall. And I think there are probably a lot of companies that probably deserve to go to the wall, mm -hmm. either through their own actions or through the actions of their investors. And the, the, cur the curse of too much money yeah. mm. hit, hits all over the place. You know, when, when money was worthless, when it cost nothing, too much of it got sprayed around and yeah. now it has, has a price and a, and, a, and a cost and you suddenly realise, why do I, I'm, I'm stuck. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to make a, make a return on this. So there's, there's, to, an extent, to an extent, I think there's a big clear out needed. Um, it, it, you know, this, re this replicates the real estate market, you know, in the same way as there's a big clear out in, in real estate. I mean, just going back to the offices, well, what do we do with that office? And people say, oh, well, we'll convert it to residential. Well, not that price, you won't. If you can buy it for 30p in the pound or mm. 30 cents in the euro, then maybe. But unless it crashes in value, mm. there's no way you can do it. Um, so there's a big clear out, you know, real estate yep. cycles, prop cycles. There will be a, a, big, a big clear out. And there is a lot of doom, doom and gloom. But I still keep thinking... And actually, the, the main talk that I spent, have spent the year going around the world talking about was four challenges for, for real estate to do with sustainability, mm -hmm. reacting to hybrid working, um, futures of our cities, etc. And there is this fundamental point from the sustainability side that we need to get to a certain place by 2030, which is soon to be six years away. Mm -hmm. Six years away yeah. isn't, even a, even, mm. isn't even a project cycle, is it? It's less know. than time it takes to build a decent size yep. build, mm. building now. So it's nothing. It's, it's, it's no time at all. And we have very stringent places we need to get to. The only way the built environment is going to get to where it needs to get by 2030 is by using lashings and lashings and lashings of technology. It cannot do it. Without a huge amount of technology, there is no way the built environment is going to meet its sustainability standards for 2030. So from a fundamental point of view, from a macro, where's the big wave, PropTech's in the, probably the best place ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it goes back to, <clears throat> for, for a long time, PropTech people had the issue that their customer wasn't really that bothered. The customer didn't really care. And PropTech people would always tear their hair out and say, well, how, why are they not interested? This is a really good thing. It makes things better. They didn't care. They didn't need to care. Mm -hmm. There was no urgency. There was no, absolutely no urgency. And if anything, spending money to make something better diminished their re returns. Now the whole, the, whole, the whole thing is flipped. So you've got to spend a lot of technology to create buildings that people, that are lettable, and sellable, but the biggest thing I think is this: is this wall at 2030 that if we don't hit it, mm -hmm. that if we that if we do hit it, is really going to hurt. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly in the, in the UK, you go to the, the the energy standards. That I think it's 80% of London offices don't meet the standards that are expected to be in place by 2030. And theoretically, because it hasn't been finalized in, in law yet, but theoretically, the penalty be will you, that you cannot let your property. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so yeah. what happens to value if you cannot let it? It doesn't yeah. go down 10%, it goes to zero, doesn't it? Yeah. So you've, you've got this huge... And one of the things that came out of COP last week, this very, very strange, strange COP, was there was... There's a big new initiative around building emissions that has been signed by 28 countries, I think. And the US is in there, UK is in there, lots of European countries are in, are in there saying that the governments will endeavour to create, they call it near-zero emission buildings mm -hmm. by, by, yep. by 20, I'm not sure what year they put in. But the whole movement is, is towards that. So from a prop tech point of view, if you're actually bothered about, if you're doing prop tech about real estate, I think you're in a very good position. I personally have a bit of a bugbear about so much of prop tech actually not being prop tech, it's fintech. Mm. It's all, you know, how can yep. we finance this? Yep. How can mm. we do, do mortgage? You know, it's, it's just fintech. And I don't know why it gets dressed, dressed up as prop tech. It's not, it's fintech. It's just money, money stuff. I would like to see a lot more prop tech actually bothered about the prop. <laughs> yeah, more prop. <laughs> more, more prop. More in sustainability. Yeah. How do I create yep. be better <clears throat> buildings? And how do I create better environments? How do I create... Great experiences. Ev ev everything, you know. Better decoration, better floors, better HVAC, better everything. Yeah. And there's not, in my mind, there's not enough attention within PropTech at the actual real estate side. Yeah. But, this, but this fundamental point, you've got the biggest asset class in, in the world, which everyone says, you have, a, you have a fixed deadline. So it's got to be the biggest opportunity space in, 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 tech, in technology. Yeah. Because if you can create something to seriously, you know, I mean, it's, lots is happening with things like concrete, isn't it? Mm. People are thinking about, you know, concrete and steel and lower stuff. So I don't, I, I don't know. I'm sort of short-term short negative. I'm sort of micro-negative, macro, very, yeah. very, very, very positive. Seeing the opportunities. <laughs> and um, look, looking at time as well, Gen AI. Gen AI, yeah, yes. It's the, the, a new kid in town, right? It's the... Big new, well, it's new wave of the internet, the industrial it, revolution. It, but before diving what, into that, what is Gen AI for our listeners? Let, let's let's talk about the, it. The, the Gen AI is AI that learns from data and then enables you to create new material. Yeah. So new text, new images, new code. It's 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 a it's a separate division within AI. Traditional AI, non-generative AI, is prediction, clustering, cl classifying. It's, it's much, more, much more mathematical. It's dealing with the world as it is. It's telling mm. you about the world as it is. Generative AI, AI is all about creating new worlds, new texts, new images, new, new what, what have you. And the important, the important point to understand about it is that we... we Everyone knows about chat GPT, which means generative pre-trained trans transformer. Mm. But actually, GPT, a GPT, is a general purpose technology. Now, most technologies are point solutions that I deal with that. There's a problem, and mm -hmm. I so solve that problem. A general purpose technology is like electricity. It's like the, 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 yep. in the internet. It's something that is pervasive across everything has an isn't an, becomes an input into literally everything and that's that's the transformational side 
about generative AI, that it will actually pervade every, everything. There's a, a good quotation that Bill Gates said a while ago, and he said in his lifetime, he's only ever seen two truly transformational technologies. One was the GUI, and the second was ChatGPT, chat so the GUI, the graphical user interface. The yep. move from a DOS prompt, mm -hmm. if anyone's old enough to you, uh, know what a DOS prompt was, but you just had to type. Yep. You could only get a computer to do something by, by, by type, typing it in, and then you suddenly had a graphical interface with a mouse, and you move the cursor around, and you click, click, click. Totally transformed, fundamentally, everything that's happened since, since then is dependent upon the GUI. What you've now got with generative AI is probably everything that happens from now on has a foundational base within uh, generation, uh, generative AI. And there's a fantastic talk by a chap called Andre Carpathy, who was one of the founding members of OpenAI, used to be the head of AI at Tesla, and is something of a sort of original god within AI. And he, he, did a, he did a talk, and it's on Yahoo, what is a large language model? And about half the talk's about explaining what a large language model is. And then he talks about the, the, the future. And he talks about the fact that language models use language. Huh. You, the interface is language. So you either write to them, just say what you want, or you talk to them and just say what you want. And he sees language models as being the kernel of a new operating system. So if you, if you have Windows on your, on your PC or OS, uh, Mac OS on your, on your Apple, mm -hmm. when you do something, it first goes to the kernel of the operating system, mm -hmm. and the operating system says, oh, you, you're after a word processor. I'll open one for you. You need a spreadsheet. I'll open a spreadsheet for you. He's saying a language model is going to become that kernel. So you will actually have natural language computing. So the language model will be the interpreter of your wishes, which in many cases would come just from text or from, yeah. from language, will interpret your wishes and then bring in the other systems to, as, as and when needed. And that's a very transformative hmm. thing. If we, can, if we can create, use, operate software through language, it's going to mean, firstly, there's an awful lot more software. It's going to be a lot easier to create software. And a lot of the problems that don't get solved at the moment, because it's not worthwhile spending the money, they're, they're small things. So it's not worthwhile some, one of the big tech firms developing for this. They will be developed for. So we're going to see a, a lot more software, a lot more pervasive into everything. But this fundamental idea of thinking about computing as a natural language interface that that's what's really trans yeah. transformative it's transform the way we work but also then real estate of course well yeah. yes because it, it it changes how you can hmm. you know, one one of one of the things we will be doing within the next within the next few years is is talking to our buildings. Hmm. So at the moment, you know, you're going down to the basement, I guarantee there's probably 10 PCs set up with a dashboard on each of them. In the future, we'll just say, what do I need to do today? Yeah. What do I need to check? What do I need to order? What do I need to in install? Who's coming in? Who who's going on the interface? It's massive. Yes, it's, it, it's abso absolutely if huge. You try. But once you get your head around it, yeah, you, you start 
realizing just how positive this is. Yeah. It's the same as in space as a service. The fundamental proposition is we are going to create better real estate yeah. and a better built world. And that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Great to see you so positive. And, in this and yeah. where to start tomorrow, right? Where can I start today? If you look at the opportunity of Gen AI on real estate as a real estate company or an operator, where do I start? Okay, my, my number one suge su suggestion for generative AI for an individual today is to, is to spend $20 a month on a, a license for yeah. the pro version of ChatGPT. Yeah. It's four. And then, and then simply play with it yourself. Yeah. Just simply sit, ask it questions, follow it down. The, you, will, you, will you will learn by playing. You will learn by playing. The interesting thing about a lot of this tech is at a corporate level, this is actually quite hard technology to, to in, mm. in, integrate. Mm -hmm. um, so it will, it's going to take more time than people think at a corporate level. But at an individual level, the ability to upskill yourself is massive. So $20 a month, buy a pro version of ChatGPT and just sit and play with it. Ask ask it questions. Anything you need to do in your daily in your daily work, ask it. Yeah. Someone's asked me for a proposal about that. What should I say? Give me five five killer arguments to make my presentation stronger. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. What do I need to know about this customer to answer their question? Whatever. Uh -huh. Just sit and play with it. And I promise you, if you if you spend I don't know, 10, 20, 30 hours just sitting yourself, it will all start to become become apparent because you start to understand it's not a real thing, but it behaves like a living organism. And they have their they have their quirks. They 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 they, they can be quite they can be yeah. quite quite odd. So you have to have to have to play with that. And then yeah. you under you'll start to understand um, how to use it. And of course, I, f I forgot to plug my own course. Come and do my <laughs> generative AI go. for real estate course. AnthonySlumbers.com. It's not January, right? After Christmas. Starts in January. Yeah. Okay. Co co cohort three starts January. Yeah, of course. And is it online or uh, in London or? No, no, no it's all it's all all online. Three, three weeks, three two-hour Zoom sessions. Fantastic network. Um, yeah. F fills in all the gaps for real estate people. Yeah. yeah. But 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 that aside, seriously. By, by yourself, chat GPT, just yeah, yeah. save that. Great, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here this uh, morning, this early morning here in Amsterdam. Uh, good luck today at, uh, at NSE HNK with the uh, AI uh, session this morning, the breakfast one. Fantastic, this is a great warm up. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you there. You're warm, yeah. extra coffee. And thank you yeah. for being here in Amsterdam. Uh, thanks for this uh, talk. And I want to ask our listeners, well, firstly, to go to JetGPT and have yourself your own uh, four version for 20 bucks a month. Yeah. And treat yourself on antonyslammers.com. Yeah, yeah, for January, the course. <laughs> Start. <laughs> and thirdly, uh, follow us on our uh, YouTube and LinkedIn and all the other channels. YouTube, channels. Oh, no, that's yes, new right. for me. Okay, oh, that's also next year. <laughs> We're right? not on yeah. YouTube. Thank you very much for <laughs> listening you. and uh, speak soon. Yeah, okay. thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Workcast. If you have ideas or comments, please send us a message on LinkedIn. You can follow us on your preferred podcast app and on LinkedIn. Have a great day. See you in the next episode of the Workcast.